0: Um, But good morning, we are continuing our study in Galatians, and the reading for this morning is coming from Galatians chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 21, and it reads, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be, will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit so also it is now but what does the scripture say cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman so brothers we are not children of the slave but of the free woman it's the word of the lord let's pray Father, uh, we are humbled as we get to come into your house, we get to hear your word, we get to rejoice and sing the songs of our heart, but I ask that you would quiet us now, quiet us in those very hearts, so we could hear the truth of your word, make still everything in our mind, so we could absorb. And recall everything you call us to bear in your word in this time. I ask that you would be with Pastor Lee and that your spirit would work through him to share this word with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Good morning again, everybody. Good morning. It is wonderful to be in the house of God, isn't it? Even if it is a little bit chilly. Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation on September 22, 1862. It went into effect on January 1, 1863. At midnight, every slave living in the Confederacy was legally and actually free. But until they knew of their freedom, that fact had no impact on their practical lives. In fact, Union soldiers carried hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of copies Of the proclamation and actually passed them out as they made their way through the South during the war. Now in the same way, when we placed our faith in Christ at that very moment, we were declared legally free from the punishment for our sin. But what's more, we were made actually free from the power of sin. Because sin, disobedience to God, it wasn't our choice when we didn't know God. It was our nature. We were slaves to sin. We couldn't not sin. But now, being reborn and having our very nature changed, when we died and rose anew with Jesus Christ, the difference is not that we no longer sin. No, we still fight the old man. We still sin. The difference is that now we have a choice. And I wonder how, how often we actually think of that. I think maybe we need to be reminded that we have a choice because we are free. See, that's why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian churches. Okay, these were churches, these were Christians he was writing to. And in giving in to the Judaizers, and adding works to their faith, they were choosing, freely choosing to put themselves under the law and therefore under sin. See, the whole point of the letter here is that because they were justified by faith, they had a choice. They could now live by faith, or they could still live by the law, or what Paul calls the works of the flesh. See, Paul's telling them, look guys, you are free, to choose. Maybe you didn't know it, but you are free. As we've seen, what the Galatians were choosing was to give up their freedom by returning to works of the flesh, by putting themselves in captivity to the law and to sin. But the point of our passage today is that Christ calls us to freedom. And as those justified by faith alone in Christ alone, We are free, finally free to do what Christ calls us to do, to be what he calls us to be. And my question for us this morning is how are we using that freedom? That's what Paul talks about in our passage today. In verse 21, he starts with them. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Paul asked the Galatians, he says, you who want to be under the law, you who willingly are choosing to be under the law, do you listen to the law? And the thing here is, Paul's using the word law two different ways. When he talks to them about being under the law, he's talking about the Mosaic system, the the rules, if you will, that had to be followed under the Mosaic covenant. This is how he's used the word throughout the entire book here. These are the works of the law. We've already seen these are the works of the law that cannot justify. The works of the law that true righteousness is not found through and was never meant to be found through. So the works of the law that the Spirit does not work through. The works of the law that are opposed to faith. The works of the law that put its adherents under a curse. The works of the law that held God's people in captivity. The works of the law that lead us only to sin. This is why Paul, as we've seen in chapter 3, tells the Galatians, the law, that's not where our inheritance is as children of God. Why? Because this is why Christ came. He came to redeem us from the law that we might receive adoptions as sons and become heirs. And all that's really important to what Paul is saying here in our passage today. But understand that when he says, do you not listen to the law, he's talking about the law in a different way. He's talking about the law as in the first five books of the Bible. Because he's bringing the Galatians and us all the way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis, before the Mosaic law was even given. Because he wants to talk again about that true sonship and that inheritance that comes only by faith. So he brings us once again back to Abraham. Again, verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. And those of you who know the story know Abraham had a wife, Sarah. When God calls him to leave everything he has and he listens, he goes and God promises him. He says, you, Abraham, are going to have offspring like the stars of heaven. You're going to have offspring like the sand of a sea. The problem is his wife couldn't have children. So what happens? They take matters into their own hands. Sarah takes her handmaiden, a slave. Hagar gives her to Abraham and says, she'll give you a kid. She'll give you the offspring that God promised. And Ishmael's born. Except God says to Abraham, no, 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 Abraham. Not your way, my way. The heir is going to be Sarah's child. And miraculously, by the hand of God, Sarah has a child. His name is Isaac. And what happens? We read that Hagar and Ishmael are thrown out of the family of Abraham. And Isaac becomes the heir. Okay, so this is what Paul's referring to. He says, Abraham had two sons. The son of a slave woman is Ishmael, and he received no inheritance because he was a slave. The son of the free woman is Isaac. He was the child of promise. He was the heir. He received the inheritance. And we're not talking about Abraham's physical wealth. There was plenty of that. But we're talking about the promise. We're talking about the covenant God made with Abraham. The covenant, the the Mosaic covenant given 430 years later, could not annul, could not add to We've seen that, right? What we're talking about here is that he received salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's why when Abraham takes Isaac, the child of promise, up on Mount Moriah, and is about to sacrifice him, what does God say to him in Genesis 22? He says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. How is Isaac Abraham's only son? There was Ishmael, who was 14 years older than him. No, because the sonship that God is talking about here, even here, way back in Genesis, is not according to the flesh. This is according to the promise. And that's why Paul makes this analogy. We've already seen, Paul explains in one sense, how the slave and the heir are really no different when they're children, right? Because the heir has not yet received his inheritance. We saw he used the metaphor of the law being that tutor or that guardian that is over the child. But as we saw in another sense, there's every difference between the slave and the heir. And when the heir receives his inheritance, what happens to the slave? Oh, he's still a slave. That's the analogy Paul's making here using Abraham's two sons. One was born to a slave, Hagar. One was born to the free woman, Sarah, and he was the true heir. And that's that's why Paul says Abraham had two sons in verse 23, but the son of a slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Ishmael was born according to purely physical means, right? It had nothing to do with the promise that God had made Abraham. Isaac did. He was born according to promise. So what we have here is Paul is comparing flesh and promise. And he equates here being born of the flesh with slavery and being born of the promise with freedom. Just he equated the law with slavery. And he equated faith with the promise. And he, later, he, he compared the law with sin and faith with righteousness. So throughout this whole letter, Paul's making these two categories of things here, okay? On one side we have the flesh, the law, sin, and slavery. Those are all equated in this letter. On the other side we have the promise, and faith, and righteousness, and now freedom. Paul equates all of these. And he's telling the Galatians, hey, you have a choice here, and you're choosing the wrong side. You're putting yourselves under the law, which means you are living according to the flesh and putting yourselves into slavery to sin. They're effectively putting themselves under the Mosaic Covenant, which has been fulfilled, as we've seen, instead of the Abrahamic Covenant, which is everlasting through the spiritual offspring of Abraham who are saved by faith in the physical offspring of Abraham, who was Jesus Christ. In other words, those under one covenant seek to be justified by works of the law, and those under the other are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And Paul's comparing these two covenants here. When he says in, in verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically, these women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, she is Hagar. Now, when Paul says this can be interpreted allegorically, he's not saying this is a story and these things didn't happen. These things happen, this is historical what happened. He's saying that they can be used to represent what he's talking about in this letter. So what he's doing is pointing out how different the women and their offspring were in the plan of redemption symbolized by their role in the family of Abraham. And so he begins with Hagar. Her child was born of the flesh and was a slave. He uses her to represent the law that was given on Mount Sinai. It was given to physical Israel, the physical offspring of Abraham, those born according to the flesh. And as Paul has pointed out repeatedly, that law put Israel in captivity. It served only to reveal their sinfulness. So we see here that first category, right, of flesh, law, slavery, sin. But the comparison here isn't really between Hagar and the law. He's telling the Galatians, those who are choosing to be under the law, that they are the children of a slave woman. They are choosing to be the children of the slave woman. He's comparing those who want to follow the law, like the Judaizers, with Ishmael. Ishmael was born according to the flesh, so Ishmael was born into slavery. And those who subject themselves to the law... They live according to the flesh, and they put themselves in slavery. And Paul goes on with the analogy in verse 25. He says, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she she is in slavery with her children. So now Paul adds the present Jerusalem. And that's the Jerusalem that was present to him, the Jerusalem that existed in the middle of the first century. He says, Hagar corresponds to Jerusalem for or because she is in slavery with her children. And what's this reference to Jerusalem all about? Well, again, keep in mind throughout the whole letter, Paul has maintained the difference between law and faith, and the difference between the physical and the spiritual. And he's drawing those same distinctions here with this analogy. So we can add to the flesh, the law, sin, and slavery, Jerusalem. Why? It was a physical place where the physical children worshiped in the physical temple through physical actions like ceremonies and sacrifices. And Paul says that puts them in slavery. It's specifically Hagar's slavery that he says is the point of correspondence between her and Jerusalem, because Jerusalem represents the law, the flesh, and, this, and sin. Why? Well, it was for the Jews the hub of worship, right? It was the physical place in which the most important religious observances had to take place, and that was a worship that was related by physical principles. I mean, think about it. There are, first, the areas within the temple were physically divided, right? There was a physical place for the women to come and worship, a physical place for the men to come and worship, But that was just the regular men. Because the Levites, if they were physically descended from Levi, they could go places in the temple no one else could and touch things in the temple no one else could. Then you have the high priest. He had to physically be descended from Aaron. He got to do things in the temple even the Levites couldn't do. In other words, who you were physically, literally, regulated your worship of God. Second, you had the law. The law didn't just regulate worship, but all of life for Israel. And this was, again, by Jesus' day, mostly physical. And we can read through Leviticus and see all the details, and boy, are there a lot of them. All the detail given about what has to be physically done to the physical sacrifices, and where physically you burn them, and where physically you do this. Read through Leviticus numbers and Deuteronomy. See how physical contact determined what was considered holy and what was considered unclean. The Ten Commandments, by Jesus' day, the Jews had made them purely physical, right? Murder was physical killing. Adultery was physical infidelity. This is why Jesus told them, no, you guys got it all wrong. So it wasn't God's intent, but that's what they did with it. Just like the Sabbath. By Jesus' day, the Sabbath became all about what the Jews could and could not physically do. The spiritual was gone. And then, of course, there's the sign of the covenant, which was only given to men. It was a physical sign given in the part of the body that made physical descendants. And remember, the Galatians... If a desire to be under the law, it's exactly what they were doing. They were practicing and teaching circumcision, the physical sign of the covenant, the physical sign given to the physical people who made the law purely physical, who made their worship purely physical. So the Galatians, like the Jews of the first century, were focused more on the physical than the spiritual. And that's what Paul's saying Jerusalem represents, purely physical observances in a physical place regulated by physical descent and physical actions. Jerusalem, like the Galatians, were under the law. And Jerusalem, like the Galatians, Paul says, in their desire to be under the law, they denied faith in Christ, which means they denied Christ. And this is why Christ lamented over Jerusalem. In Luke 13, he's coming up the mountain to Jerusalem. He says, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. They were not willing. Because like the Judaizers, and like the Galatians, they desired to be under the law. They made their faith and their worship all about physical acts, about what they did and didn't do. Now, why did they do this? Let's be honest, living under the law is a lot easier than living by faith, isn't it? It's easier, even if you have 613 commandments you have to follow, it's easier. Even if you have what it turned to in Jesus' day, and it was thousands of commandments, it's easier. It is far easier to observe a bunch of physical do's and do not's than have faith. This is what Christ railed against in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen, it's far easier to obey the command, you shall not kill, if the standard is, don't physically murder anybody, isn't it? It's almost impossible if the standard is to not get angry without reason. Let's be honest, I'll speak for myself. I know when I get angry, it's usually because my pride is offended, not because I have a good reason. It's easy to observe the Sabbath day by not walking a mile or not driving my car or not using the oven. It's far harder to observe the Sabbath day by worshiping God with a pure heart, isn't it? It's far harder to be 100% invested in worshiping God on his day. For many of us in here, it's really hard to get through a worship service without looking at our phones even once, isn't it? As all the phones go away. It is far easier to honor God by stealing what isn't mine than it is to honor God by never being jealous of what somebody else has. It's far easier to honor God by not going back at that jerk who had no reason to yell at me like that than it is to say, I love that man. That man needs to be loved. Because, you see, the law means that I either do or don't do physical things. It doesn't involve my heart. It doesn't involve my mind. It doesn't involve my intentions. But faith in God does. Faith in God means that I'm humble. Faith in God is that I rejoice when others rejoice. Faith in God means that I love my neighbor as myself regardless of whether or not I'm being loved. i got to be honest. I can understand why the Galatians wanted to be under the law. It's easy. Because sin is easy. Sin is very easy. And being under the law, Paul tells us, he says, being under the law means being under sin. And being under sin means being a slave to our sin. And the Galatians, and we, sometimes, even though we're free, like the Galatians, we freely choose to go back to the slavery of sin, don't we? You know why? Because doing what I can do, makes me a slave to what I can do. And sooner or later, if we're honest with ourselves, it's usually sooner, sooner or later, I'm going to see I can't do it on my own. I can't not sin on my own. And that's how the law points us to Christ. It's how it reveals our need for Christ. And that is why, whereas the law leads to slavery, faith in Christ leads to freedom. And brothers and sisters, the, the blessing of the freedom we have in Christ isn't just being free from the law. Isn't it just being free from the punishment of sin? Isn't it just being free from the power of sin? The freedom we have in Christ isn't just freedom from. It's freedom to. We are now free to do works that please God. Did you know that? We are now free to live righteously. We are free to love God and love our neighbor. We are free to worship God truly. This is why Christ explains to the Samaritan woman at the well. What does he say? It doesn't matter where physically God is worshipped. No, with with Christ coming, the Father is seeking those who will worship in spirit and truth. And what does he say in John 4, 24? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That is what we are free to do by faith in Jesus Christ. Worship the Father the way he wants to be worshipped. Because adding works of the law, any works at all, to salvation is neither spirit nor truth. What it is, is seeking to please God, who is spirit, through physical means that we choose. Through what we can do on our own. We usually choose to do the things we know we can do. And it's like the worship in Jerusalem at the time. Like those who chose to live by the law and subject themselves to slavery. As Paul said in Romans 9, What shall we say then? that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. As Paul has said through this letter, the, the law is not contrary to the promise. No, pursuing righteousness through the law is contrary to the promise. Because the law is good. The law is very good. It shows us our need for a righteousness outside ourselves. It shows us our need for Jesus. And like so many of the Jews in Paul's day, represented by Jerusalem, just like the Judaizers, they denied Christ and chose the law. They were offended by Christ and his message. And they stumbled over the stumbling block and they were slaves to their sins. And Paul's telling the Galatians, hey, That's what you guys are doing by choosing the law. You're choosing slavery over freedom. You are choosing slavery over Christ. Whereas the unsaved in Israel had no choice. They were Ishmael. The Galatians were choosing to be Ishmael instead of Isaac. And remember, because of physical descent, Ishmael was born a slave. So too, the Jews who valued physical works of the law, they were slaves to their sin. But it shouldn't have been so for the Galatians because they were children of promise. They were children of freedom. That's what Paul tells them next. Verse 26, But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Paul continues with the Jerusalem analogy here, but instead of comparing Jerusalem to some other physical place, he compares the physical Jerusalem to the spiritual Jerusalem. See, those who sought righteousness because they were the physical offspring of Abraham, as opposed to those who have righteousness because we are justified by faith alone, the spiritual offspring of Abraham. And as we've seen, that there's the physical nation of Israel and the spiritual Israel that is the church, so too the Bible speaks of the physical Jerusalem and the spiritual Jerusalem, or the heavenly Jerusalem, or the new Jerusalem. That's the church. Not a physical place, but a spiritual people. This is us. And the writer of Hebrews uses the same comparison Paul makes here, okay? There's Sinai, there's the Mosaic Covenant, there's the law, the physical place that represents the law, and then there's the heavenly Jerusalem, the spiritual home of those justified by faith. Look what he says in Hebrews 12. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg no further message to be spoken from them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a, beach touch, a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Notice, touch, hear, see, all these physical words. But you, Christians, the church, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the Judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the Mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Our faith, who we are, this is something that can't be touched. Who we are, our faith isn't something that can be apprehended physically. Look at this description. This is where we are right now, brothers and sisters. By our faith, our worship transcends the physical barriers of these four walls. By faith, when we come together and we worship, we are lifted up around the throne of God and we worship him in spirit and truth. That is what Christ made us free to do. Because as opposed to the slavery of the law, as opposed to physical Jerusalem, as opposed to Mount Sinai, as opposed to Hagar and her children, verse 26, the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. We are not the child of a slave, but the free woman. By faith, we are free. And Paul goes on to say in verse 27, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of a desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Paul quotes Isaiah 54. He's explaining why he's using this analogy of Hagar and Sarah. Hagar, physically able to have children. That's why Sarah gave her to Abraham. Abraham. God promised offspring, Sarah couldn't have children, Hagar could. But what Abraham and Sarah did was try to use physical means to receive a spiritual promise. Think about it. When it comes down to it, what they did was they believed God needed their physical help to keep his promise. And that's where we can see the correlation here between them and the Galatians. The Galatians were adding works of law to faith. Justification is by faith Alone, And adding works to that alone is trying to use physical means to receive a spiritual promise. It is trying to help God through physical means to keep his promise of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's believing God needs our help. God, you need my help to count me righteous like you did Abraham. That's why Paul quotes this passage. Because the promise did not pass through Ishmael, it passed through Isaac. Through a barren woman in her 90s. That's grace. That's God at work. There was nothing Abraham and Sarah could have done. They were married for like 70 years. They tried, trust me. But it took God acting by grace alone to make it happen. And That's why Paul's quote in his Isaiah passage, the children of the barren one will be more than she who was married. The one who is physically unable will rejoice more than the one who uses physical means because God's going to do it. It It's referring to Sarah, but even more to the promise that God made through her and through Isaac. It's talking about the fulfillment of the the nations being blessed through the promise of justification by faith. Let's look at the passage in Isaiah briefly. Isaiah 54, where it says, "Single, barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, You have not been in labor. For the children of a desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Look what he says. Enlarge the place of your tent, let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will and will people the desolate cities. This is the promise that all nations will be blessed. This is God extending his work beyond the physical, beyond Jerusalem. This is the spread of the gospel and the church throughout the whole world. It's talking about the fact that through the promise to Abraham and the work of God in passing that promise through Isaac, all of the world, all of the spiritual offspring of Abraham inherit the promise. And that promise is Jesus Christ. That's why the Gospel of Matthew begins by tracing the line of Abraham down to Jesus Christ, because Christ is the promise made to Abraham. He is the physical offspring. Faith in him makes it the spiritual offspring. He's the physical offspring. So you see, the promise passed to Isaac, not because he was the physical son of Abraham, But because he was the spiritual offspring. And as a son, he was an heir and he received the promise. And as sons, we are heirs and we receive the promise. Verse 28, Paul says, Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. He's including all believers in the covenant, he's including all of us in the promise. The promise passed from Abraham to Isaac, not because he was the firstborn, because he wasn't. It's because God chose him by grace. The promise passes to us by grace alone. And we are not Ishmael, we are Isaac. We are chosen and we are free. But realize, as I've said, he's writing this to the Galatian Christians. I told you, Paul, nowhere in his letter, insinuates they're not saved. No, he's telling them they are children of promise. He explicitly here says, you are children of promise. It's precisely because they are children of the free woman that Paul writes the letter. It's because they were free that they could willingly go into slavery. Remember, they desire to be under the law. Paul's saying, guys, the idea that you can inherit a spiritual promise through physical works is a lie. So Paul exposes the lie and exposes the liars in verse 29. He says, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, that's Isaac, so also it is now. All right, Paul to the Galatians, you are the son of the free woman, okay? In my analogy, you're Isaac. You're the children of promise. The Judaizers, they're like Ishmael, he already said. They're the children of the flesh. And what do we read in the book of Genesis? Ishmael mocks Isaac. He persecutes Isaac, and what happens? He gets thrown out. Hagar and Ishmael get thrown out. See, what the Judaizers were doing in convincing the Galatians to return to slavery was mocking their faith. I want to tell you, any idea that there are minimum requirements that we can set to please God is a mockery of our faith. And notice, Paul again brings the Holy Spirit back into this. It's like he has throughout the whole letter. Remember, he said, it's not by works of the law, but by faith the Galatians received the Spirit. That's why he asked them, hey, having begun by the Spirit, you're going to finish now by works? Well, Paul here is bringing them back to that. Because the heirs are born into the family of God by the Spirit. It's exactly what Jesus explained to Nicodemus, who couldn't understand it. Why? Because he was thinking in terms of the physical. The Judaizers couldn't understand it because they were thinking in terms of the physical. And so like the Jews with Christ, those who think in terms of the physical, you know what happens? They persecute. They mock those who were born of faith. That's what the Judaizers were doing to the Galatians. And we should expect this, right? We should expect this from the world. We should expect the world to mock us. We should expect the world to persecute us for our faith. And the more we live by that faith, the more we'll get mocked and persecuted. You can mark that down. But Paul's saying there's no place for this in the church. This doesn't belong within the family of faith. He says, When Ishmael mocked Isaac, he was cast out. That's what Paul's telling the Galatians to do, verse 30. What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of a slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Get rid of the Judaizers, Paul says. Get rid of circumcision, Paul says. Get rid of the works of the law, Paul says. Why? Because by doing that, you're putting yourself into slavery. You're choosing to be the son of a slave woman. And brothers, the son of a slave woman, who is born according to the flesh, cannot inherit with the son of the free woman, he tells them. As we so last week in Pastor Dave's message. Listen, we can't even touch legalism a little bit. Not even a little bit. If we allow even a little legalism, a little room for works of the law, we're leaving room captivity to sin. As Paul said elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 5, he said, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you are really unleavened. This is another analogy. Paul will use this later in the book of Galatians. He wants the Galatians to realize, guys, even a little bit puts you in grave danger. If you turn even a little bit to works of any kind to please God, you will never please him. If you live even a little bit By the flesh instead of the spirit, you will be captives to your sin. So Paul reminds them, verse 31, brothers, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. Paul tells him, he says, guys, you are children of the free woman. Stop acting like the children of a slave woman. Paul knew it was easier. Listen, to be a slave or a servant, all you got to do is what you're told to do. But Paul understands if they chose that, They would always be servants. They would always be servants of sin. They would always be slaves to the law. And Paul tells them this is what Christ has called us to. He has fulfilled the law that held us captive so we could be free. And if His Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen? So we are free, brothers and sisters, through faith alone in Christ alone. What Paul was asking the Galatians was how are you using your freedom? So I return to my question where we started how are we using our freedom? I want to encourage you, do not use your freedom to do easy. We're not called to easy. Nowhere does the Bible portray the life and faith of God's people as easy. And that means we can't try to make it easy for ourselves. What do I mean by that exactly? Well, as we saw, the physical is easy, the spiritual is difficult. We can't make our spiritual lives, we can't make our faith about what we do, even a little bit. So you can't feel your faith is strong and growing because you meet the minimum criteria you set for yourself. And like I said, we all set for ourselves what we can do. Like, I went to church this week, I'm good because that's what Christians should do. Or I read my devotional this morning, and I'm good because that's what Christians should do. Or I went like, the whole week without cursing. That's good, because Christians shouldn't do that. But coming here, sitting for a couple of hours, or setting aside 10 minutes every day to read your devotional, or refraining from worldly things like cursing, something that obviously you can do if you don't do it, is trying to please God by what we do. It's actually making my walk easy By making my own law to follow to please God. This is what the Galatians were doing. But what pleases God, Paul says, is faith faith in Christ alone. And what that means is we can't change where our faith is because, listen, looking at what I do takes my focus off of God and puts it onto me. And what that means when it comes down to it is that I have taken my faith and placed it in myself. That's what the Galatians were doing. But the faith alone, as Paul has told us, that saves us is in Christ alone. So maybe we should ask ourselves, in my freedom, who am I really looking to? Who am I looking to? Because that's where your faith really is. And again, looking to myself is easy. And That's where I default to. You know what? It's human nature, isn't it? We need to be intentional about looking to Christ, or we will revert to easy. And faith in myself is easy. Because again, if it's about what I can do, then I already know I can do it. But it's about Christ. It's about Christ and what he has done. It's about Christ and what he is still doing. And if we have been justified by faith, listen, we are free to get our eyes off ourselves. The world can't do that. We are free to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto Jesus. We are finally free to stop making it about me and make it about him. We are free to stop making ourselves so big and God so small. You see, the reason we default to looking to ourselves, the reason we make it about what we can do, is that we make too much of ourselves. Believe it or not, I've done it once or twice in my lifetime. But I'll tell you, the only way to not make much of ourselves is to make much of God. See, we can't be too big in our own eyes if God is big enough. The problem for us is that in our own eyes, we're usually far bigger than God. Like I said earlier, faith in God means that I am humble. Faith means that I rejoice when others rejoice. It means I love my neighbor as myself even when I am not being loved. But that means I have to have faith in God. I can't do that by looking to me, the eye that has to do these things. I have to have faith that God will exalt the humble like he promises. I have to have faith that if my joy is in Christ, then my joy will be complete. I have to have faith. I need to trust God that he is the righteous judge who will judge rightly, and it's not my place to do it. It means that though, even though I really believe That looking to him and living by faith will not be easy that I believe that he works all things for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. If I'm looking to him and not to me, if he is big in my eyes and not me, if he is big in my heart and not me, if I trust him and not me, if I look to what he is doing and not what I am doing, you know what that is? That's faith. That's what faith is. We saw last week, Paul entreated the Galatians, he said, become as I am. And this is Paul, from Galatians 2, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We have a choice, because we are free. We are not held captives under sin anymore, unless we choose to be. As Paul said in verse 31, he said, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. So we have the choice. We have the choice, God or me. God's way or my way. Faith in me and what I can do or faith in Christ and what he has done and what he is still doing. And whether we think about it or not, that's a choice we make every single day with everything we do. So, it's up to you. We can choose easy. We can choose to put faith in what we can do. We can very easily choose me. Paul's asking the Galatians, what's your choice? So he asked us this morning, brothers and sisters, we're free. What's our choice going to be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for condescending to speak to us in a way we can understand, Lord. And I thank you that you don't pull punches. I thank you that your word doesn't seek to tickle our ears. You say very clearly, God, we are free. By your grace alone, we are free. And, Lord, we're to use that freedom to choose you. We're to use that freedom to choose your way. But, Lord, we're so weak. Lord, we're here on a Sunday. Lord, we can hear your word read. We can hear a halfway decent sermon, hopefully. And we can think to ourselves, yeah, I want to choose you, God. And then the rest of life happens. We don't realize with everything we do, Father, we're making a choice. And Lord, I can see in my own life that I choose me far too often. So my prayer, God, in our weakness, Lord, just like in Sarah's weakness, by your grace, Lord, she was able to bear the child of promise, Lord, in our weakness, by your grace, God, grow our faith. Enlarge yourself in our hearts. Help us to make much of you in all things. Help us to remember, God, that you paid a great price for our freedom. Help us to remember that, God. That, Lord, we are yours. Thank God, Lord, we are yours. Thank you, God. And we're free, Lord. Help us. Work in us by your spirit, Lord. Help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to say yes to you every day. We pray this, Father. We pray this. In the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.